As a listener to Intelligent Medicine, you know that fish oil provides the vital omega-3s, EPA, and DHA that support your cardiovascular, brain, nerve, vision, immune system, joint, and skin health, as well as your inflammatory balance. My preferred fish oil brand is Vital Nutrients, offering a line of 11 ultra-pure omega-3 solutions, including soft gels, liquid, and enteric-coated options in a variety of potencies. Vital Nutrients even offers a high-performance and nutrient-dense vegan omega supplement option. Vital Nutrients' line of ultra-pure omega-3 solutions are held to the most rigorous quality standards in the industry, ensuring maximum freshness, purity, and potency. I use Vital Nutrients myself and recommend it to my patients. For more information and to order, call 888-328-9992. That's 888-328-9992. Or go to vitalnutrients.co. That's vitalnutrients.co for the Vital Nutrients line of Ultra Pure Omega-3 Solutions. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Uh, our guest today is Michelle Perro. Uh, she is the author of uh, a wonderful uh, book entitled What's Making Our Children Sick. Uh, and the subtitle is What Parents and Doctors Can Do About It, How Industrial Food is Causing an Epidemic of Chronic Disease. Of course, these days uh, we're all preoccupied uh, with the coronavirus pandemic, uh, but uh, that does not negate the fact that before coronavirus came around, we were seeing a bewildering array of diseases affecting our children, uh, also uh, metabolic disorders uh, impairing the health of adults, uh, causing mortality that frankly dwarfs the toll of the coronavirus, not to minimize it. Coronavirus is a very serious problem, but uh, people were dying in droves of avoidable causes, we believe, well before coronavirus made its appearance. So, uh, uh, Dr. Perro uh, is uh, an expert in this field. Uh, she is, a lot of her work is focused on the harmful effects of GMOs. We'll get into that uh, later. And also, she's written a, a wonderful paper uh, recently on that subject about uh, how GMOs uh, may undermine our health. Uh, she has an extensive uh, background. Uh, a veteran clinician with over 35 years of experience in both pediatrics as well as in integrative medicine. Uh, she treats both children and their families. Uh, and uh, she's also garnered uh, lots of recognition and numerous awards uh, for her uh, uh, very, very, uh, very uh, visionary research in this field. Uh, Educated at uh, Yale, uh, Mount Sinai School of Medicine, which right now is experiencing the brunt of the coronavirus pandemic in NYU Bellevue. That's interesting because you did a pediatric residency at NYU Bellevue. I was around right around the same time you were there. Uh, I think we might have slightly overlapped uh, because in 1985 and 1984, uh, I was uh, at Manhattan VA and we rotated through NYU Bellevue. So we may have crossed paths there at Bellevue during the AIDS pandemic, right? Remember that? Oh, uh, indeed, indeed I do. Yeah, so, uh, but, you know, I, I was so blurry-eyed there 
uh, that I have uh, <laughs> very few recollections beyond <laughs> not getting enough sleep uh, and working uh, feverishly on patients during another another pandemic, which was uh, the AIDS pandemic. Uh, now she's on uh, advisory boards of the Heartland Society, looking at uh, linkages between herbicide exposure during pregnancy and birth outcomes, uh, also uh, with GMO science. Uh, she's a, a tireless advocate uh, for cleaning up our uh, food supply. Uh, so with credentials uh, too many to enumerate because we'd go through half our podcast just, just recounting them. Uh, Dr. Perro, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us. Dr. Hoffman, it's my pleasure to come back and chat with you. You're one of my favorites, and I love what you're doing, so thank you. Well, I take it as a high compliment from you because uh, your work is really outstanding. So um, uh, lately, uh, you wrote uh, a paper, um, uh, you, you co-authored a paper uh, that uh, links uh, GMOs to what's called the shikimate pathway uh, in the microbiome. And so, you know, a lot of people are kind of confused by this uh, GMO uh, uh, controversy. You know, they know that, you know, maybe it's not so good, you know, growth modified organisms, you know, so-called frankenfoods. Uh, but it's not clear to them just precisely how they might undermine our health. Can you outline it in a way that it makes it understandable for our listeners? Absolutely. And it, the interesting thing about GMOs, we can call it GM, GE, genetically engineered food, there's a whole host of it out there, and especially now as more genetically modified food hit the market, like the Impossible Burger that's coming out with Storm, which is a genetically modified food product. Um, I call them food products, uh, Dr. Hoffman, because I don't really consider them as food. They're mm -hmm. industrialized in, in ingredients. And so... The problem is when you eat a genetically modified food, corn, soy, canola, sugar from sugar beets, it comes with associated pesticides. So often we don't know what the effect is from the genetically modified food and or its associated pesticide because you don't eat it alone. Mm -hmm. But from the, bit, from the little bit of research we have on just GMO, no pesticide, it caused significant issues dating back to the original research on it in 1996 out of the UK at the Rowett Institute by a researcher named Dr. Pussy. And we found, um, he found, I did not find, major issues with immune function, mm -hmm. um, reproductive organs, the liver and kidney, etc. So, and then there have been some duplicates in GMOs since that time, but not as many studies as you would think. As a matter of fact, there are no human studies on GMOs. So we've been eating these products for over two decades now without a human study, which as a clinician and a scientist, I find that quite shocking. Mm. You don't release a drug without a double-blind placebo-controlled study, um, although there are many out there that have been released. Yep. But in, in general, that's good medicine. Well, so you know, let's let's break so, let's break yeah. it down for for our listeners. You, know, you mentioned two possible ways in which GMOs uh, may be harmful, and I think you know one of the obvious ways is that uh, because of GMOs, uh, they permit uh, the spraying of crops with pesticides uh, because they are you know in the case of uh, Roundup resistant uh, GMOs, the Roundup resistant uh, crops, uh, they don't die. Basically, when you put this weed killer on them, the weeds die, but the products don't die. So what that enables farmers to do is spray a high amount of these uh, pesticides uh, on the surface of these plants. It gets into the soil. 
uh, ultimately it gets into our food supply. So let's start with that. But more intriguing is what we'll get to, which is that intrinsically there's something about these uh, these organisms that may uh, just not match the physiology of the body in a good way. Yes, you know, I can I I think a great example that I can give your listeners is the Impossible Burger. Do you want me to go into that? Yeah, please, that's please. That's a great do. example. Yeah. So I think a lot of people familiar with that Burger King now has this Impossible Burger. Restaurants all over the U.S. are serving them, and it was the vegetarian's answer to getting a vegetarian burger that tastes like meat. So the heme component of this burger that makes it taste like meat they got from a soy nodule, a soy plant, and it's called uh, leg hemoglobin. But it was very expensive to produce all these soy plants. So, so they said, let's genetically engineer this soy leg hemoglobin and have a yeast reproduce it. So they now have a genetically engineered yeast producing this soy leg hemoglobin that makes the burger. In huge vats, huge vats. I mean, the yeast multiplies like crazy in these vats, and then a byproduct of uh, the yeast uh, is that makes this 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 uh, chemical, basically this leg hemoglobin, or it's a protein, but yeah, it it resembles hemoglobin in the blood. It's bloody. It's red. It's it's got mouthfeel and taste potentially that mimics meat. And, and that is so spot on, and that was the whole idea. So you think, wow, brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. And in theory, that should be absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant. Like, whew, mind-blowing. Those are my two hands waving in the air for our listeners because it's a podcast. So, <laughs> okay. But however, something interesting. When these brilliant little yeasts made this product, there were new proteins that were formed. I believe 44 of them to be exact mm-hmm. that our bodies have never seen. These are novel proteins. And we, our bodies, our immune systems have not recognized these as, as us. They're foreign. So we now ingest these foreign okay. novel so, so proteins, just, just, which are real proteins to let us. Let me just pause on that. It, so we yes. think that with laser-like precision, they have induced the yeast to make only this leg hemoglobin, which is, you know, been tested. They think it's safe. You know, it's, it's, it's found in nature, so it, it must be safe. But inadvertently, you're saying that a byproduct of this bioengineering is that, you know, in a kind of scattershot fashion, additional, some additional proteins have been created as, and it's, it's just an ancillary effect of this bioengineering. And somehow these novel proteins are now part of this, this food or this <laughs> quasi food, this, this, uh, now, faux food. Now you, that Ronald spot on. So you would say, one would say, what's the problem with that? Well, the company, Impossible Foods, that produced this burger did their own research, and the FDA gave them a pass on producing their own data. They did a study um, of literally um, 10 male rats, 10 female rats over 28 days. 28 days is not a long time for a study, nor is that number of rats. And what they found after feeding these rats this burger is that they had significant changes in their chemistry, their weight, and reproduction. They went on to state in this paper, which they submitted to the FDA, that these changes had no adverse effects and were not toxicologically significant. And that's, and the FDA took this as, okay, they did their homework. 
They, I they, they didn't just you know flip over. They didn't flip over and die immediately on ingesting. <laughs> so they, they just had these hmm, changes. You know, no biggie. These and so so they reported that many Monsanto did this also. It's, it's so interesting. They have adverse effects, but they say no. These are not adverse effects, and they're not significant. So the, even Monsanto found that when they were when they were first looking at Roundup. Oh, there are effects, but they don't mean anything. The change in chemistry don't mean anything. Well, for those of us with inquiring minds, we said, well, is that true? Why would rats have empty uteri, these empty uteri after eating these burgers if this was not significant? So, fast forward, they released this burger. They got a no questions asked letter by the FDA. The FDA said, okay, guys, you police yourselves and, and are we having a problem from eating this burger? Well, there's, call, there's a group called uh, U, uh, GMO Free USA, and they've been collecting data, which they are getting ready to release soon. They did a survey, an anonymous survey, that people could go online and report if they were having effects from eating this burger. And they've been masked hundreds of people reporting allergic reactions hmm. to eating this burger and other things. And this data should be released actually quite soon. Hmm. So we've all got distracted with COVID for a while, the coronavirus. Yeah. So, you see, this is a modern example, because we've been eating GMOs a long time, of whether GMOs indeed are actually, have no adverse effects, and, and whether we can actually control the genetic modification process. And I don't believe we can. There are these rogue uh, proteins that are unknown health effects, mm -hmm. and indeed, that's the problem, one of the many problems. So in, in a paper that you co-authored, uh, and it's a very scholarly paper, uh, you, it, you and other researchers have pointed to something called the shikimate pathway. Now, I'm going to mm -hmm. summarize it from my, you know, relatively uh, lay understanding of this, because, you know, this is, we're talking uh, biochemistry and molecular biology and, uh, you know, microbiome science. Um, anything that kills weeds has the potential, and I'm just paraphrasing here, to kill bacteria and bacteria popular gastrointestinal tracts. And so are we getting an off-target effect with these weed killers when we consume these weed killers that are supposed, they're not, they're supposedly not harmful to mammals. Okay. You know, maybe that's so, but what inhabits us as mammals is a complex microbiome, the health of which is very important for our overall well-being. So am I, am I on the right track there? Can you refine that? Well, you did an excellent job. Um, I would just tell our listeners here that the shikame pathway is the pathway in plants that produces something called aromatic amino acids to making proteins called neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters run our neurology. And these aromatic amino acids that produce these chemicals are a vital part of plants. And the glyphosate, which is the main ingredient in Roundup, inhibits one of the enzymes along this pathway. So when Monsanto produced this uh, a substance, they said it wasn't harmful to us, you're spot on. And we indeed don't use utilize the shikame pathway, but our microbiota does, our microbiome, that collection of organisms, which now we are considering an actual organ um, that have a vital role in maintaining our health. 
Now, what happened is Monsanto themselves, now Bayer, recognized early and 2003 filed a patent granted in 2010 as glyphosate is an antibiotic. And hmm. so it works in the same pathway, the chicken mate pathway, and it works as an antibiotic on protozoa, certain anaerobes, even strep and staph were reported to be affected by glyphosate. Hmm. So what's happening, and this came out in a brilliant paper, and we wrote about it through the work of Dr. Michael Antonio out of King's College in the UK in December 2019, that he wrote about how exactly the microbiota is affected exactly hmm. by glyphosate and produces certain acids, called the shikimic acids, which can be beneficial or harmful, not only harmful, but cancer producing. Mm. So this mechanism of how glyphosate causes cancer, listed as a carcinogen, a class 2A carcinogen by the World Health Organization in 2015, that the mechanism is now elucidated how glyphosate causes cancer. And so we're beginning to understand it via this effect on the chicken mate pathway in our microbiota. Now, how much glyphosate you need to eat in your diet to create this die-off is unclear. Some of us may be able to tolerate more than mm -hmm. others, right? It's mm -hmm. so individualized. We practice integrated medicine, which is individualized medicine. Mm -hmm. So we don't know. But when we look at people's microbiota, and you can test for it using various methodologies, and we can talk about that later if you wish, that our microbiome in U.S. citizens, especially children, because I do look, is not robust. It's not healthy. We have a very low numbers of species. And in order to create health, you want a high number of species, of various species in your microbiota. The buzzword so is we diversity. We want diversity. You know, just like, uh, you know, cultural diversity. You know, we want representations of all ethnicities and races, you know, in our, in our media, in our politics. We want it within our microbiome because it suggests uh, a very flourishing, uh, uh, healthy kind of primal forest within our guts. Correct. And this, and you know, and now, I mean, we could even tie this to what we're seeing in the meat industry and what's going on there. And we can, we can broaden it to, you know, encroach the topic of, you know, COVID induced, you know, uh, meat workers because it affects antibiotics are also given to farm animals given via both just pharmaceuticals because they're all crowded together to, for against infection and in their food. And it's been shown in cattle feed, they have massive amounts of glyphosate yes. in parts per billion, as well as the toxic metabolites of glyphosate, which is called AMPA, in the feed, for example, of cattle. And they are suffering from certain illnesses because of that. So they're getting it in their feed they're getting it from pharmaceutically induced um, antibiotics because they're so crowded together and they have a lot of high infection rate, right? Chickens, cows, mm -hmm. pigs. Um, so that they are, they, they're altered. We're eating that. We are altered. You're only as good as what you eat. And henceforth, our microbiota is definitely disturbed. Mm -hmm. And, and now we, we can now link diseases based on what we're finding in people's microbiome. We know certain organisms are now being shown to be linked to certain diseases from rheumatoid arthritis to obesity and metabolic syndrome mm -hmm. to autoimmunity. Ulcerative colitis, Crohn's well disease, as, and so on, yeah. 
autism, etc. Yes, it's really the cutting edge of medicine, Ronald. Yeah, it, it, we, you know, we spent a lot of time uh, here on Intelligent Medicine talking about uh, the microbiome. And, uh, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, bringing it back to the subject du jour, you know, coronavirus, um, is it plausible to assign some blame when we see such a disparity in outcomes for people who are attacked by the coronavirus uh, to say that, you know, maybe we should pay some attention to the microbiome as a mediator of uh, immune response, you know, people with a healthy microbiome. Um, I mean, this is just hypothetical. I'm not necessarily saying this is the case, but we perhaps should be looking at the microbiome as a determinant of, you know, who has a relatively mild case and who descends into a cytokine storm. Uh, you you just literally put the, put the nail in there for me. Um, and absolutely. In my perfect world, what I would do is look at the microbiota of everyone and fortify that via hopefully with diet always diet first and if not diet then certainly supplemental pre prebiotics and probiotics um you certainly want to get the food for the microbiota americans in general with their sad diets and boy you've reported on this endlessly is um that we don't have enough um fiber and prebiotics to feed our microbiota so um for example i mean i have read studies now when we treat patients with chronic infection getting samples of their own fecal samples before treatment, treating them with whatever, whatever you need, antibiotics perhaps, and then reinstitut mm -hmm. reinstituting their own fecal microbiota after treatment right. to restore it. Yeah, and that actually, it's almost like, uh, you know, like a rescue uh, treatment. It's let's, you know, uh, create a record of the way you were before this harsh treatment, you know, perhaps you're getting chemotherapy or getting intensive antibiotic therapy, and then we will bank your, uh, your, your, uh, bacteria and re-inoculate you so that we can restore you to, you know, status quo ante, uh, you know, presumably to, uh, change a, a damaged microbiome and restore it to normalcy. So that's a very, very interesting prospect. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, you're a pediatrician, uh, your background's in pediatrics. Um, we're seeing, it, it's puzzling, and I'm not sure, uh, I don't have a good understanding of, of what this is about, but, you know, there's some ominous rumblings about kids getting sick with this. We were relieved at first uh, that kids do not seem to get serious coronavirus infections, but there have been a couple of deaths. There have been some reports of increased incidence of something called Kawasaki syndrome, um, I, you know, I, I think I got one lecture on that in medical school and I'm not even sure I was fully <laughs> awake at the time. Uh, you know, can you, can you just give us a brief resume of what that is? And is it plausible that yeah. coronavirus could be implicated in that? Yeah. You know, uh, initially we, uh, from the, from, from what we're seeing and, and we're, we're massing data between China and what we're seeing, we're seeing lots of kids and, and for the most part, kids do well. However, we have to remember things as reported, you know, by in our book, um, what's making our kids sick. Kids are not as healthy as they were. And you consider this the stat that one out of two kids now has a chronic disease. So we know that people with chronic disease don't do as well with coronavirus. Maybe they have a certain number of receptors that coronavirus seems to like, all these ACE2 receptors, et cetera. Kids don't seem to have as many. With chronic disease, the number goes up. Mm -hmm. That's where this coronavirus binds. Mm. However, okay. Now, 
if we have a subset of kids who's not that well, either based on the fact that they have chronic disease or their diet is a sad American diet and they don't, and they're nutrient deficient, you need zinc, you need magnesium, you need copper, you need, you need a lot of these things uh, which a lot of kids don't are, get hardly any of because of like refined food diets, you know. And oh my God, you know, when you check children, especially kids with issues, but not just kids with issues, all kids, it's shocking how low their nutrient levels are. If you just want to look at zinc, you have to look at red blood cell zinc. And if the pediatricians are savvy enough to check for nutrient levels, which many of them, for reasons I don't understand, don't, they look at the plasma levels, which mm-hmm. are not reflective of what's happening in the kid's body. So we have kids who are nutrient deficient who are then get challenged with this new novel, novel coronavirus. Now, there's a subset of them going on to develop this Kawasaki-like syndrome, which is um, a vasculitis of unknown origin, although we have theories on what it is, and they're developing, which affects blood vessels, and they have all kinds of symptoms from it, and fevers, rashes, and inflammation of various membranes like their eyes and the inside of their mouth. Um, and the problem with this Kawasaki disease is they can go on to get a coronary artery involvement. Hmm. And we're starting to see which, we're, which we're seeing in, in adults quite a lot. I mean, that seems to be the the end game for a lot of the very sick adults in cytokine storm. And it's that vasculitis, and this virus may have a predilection for the endothelial linings of blood vessels, or and or it is an immune response to the viral issues, where you get a, a vascular inflammation. Right, you just, all vasculitis is is vascular inflammation, whatever the trigger, our own immunity, a viral trigger, etc. Right, we know that. Um, and so, right, and that's what the adults are. Many of the adults are getting too, and we're, and we're recognizing that. You know, when your cytokines start to go out of control, it's not necessarily a good outcome for us. Um, unchecked cytokine release. You know, we are more damaged often by our immune systems by the, than the infection triggering right. our immune system. Right. When we have a the cold and, and we're miserable, it's it's actually not the virus that's uh, making us feel bad. It's our own immune response that gives us, uh, you know, fever and bodily aches and pains and, you know, the whole panoply of symptoms that we get. All right. Good point at which to pause. Uh, because we got lots more to talk about, uh, especially on the GMO front, a uh, big controversy yeah. these days. And uh, Bayer, the company that uh, inherited the woes of Monsanto, uh, the original developers of glyphosate and other GMO products, uh, is uh, currently fending off uh, a bunch of lawsuits uh, about the potential for glyphosate to cause cancer. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, where that's going. Uh, in 2020. We're a little distracted by coronavirus, so uh, maybe that's not making the news. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest is Dr. Michelle Perro. Uh, she's author of uh, a wonderful book, uh, Why Kids Get Sick. Is that correct? Uh, indeed, and um, a shout out to my incredible, fabulous, brilliant co-author, Dr. Vincent Adams. We co-authored that book together. Indeed. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. We'll be right back with part two.